The book is called The Serengeti Rules because uh, you can see in action out on the Serengeti some of the basic rules of ecology, some of the basic processes that go on all across the world. So I called them the Serengeti Rules because I thought that would be a little sticky and that um, they involve these charismatic animals like elephants and wildebeest and lions and all that. But these rules apply in backyard ponds. These rules apply in the coastal ocean. These rules apply even on a single leaf of a rose bush. And that by understanding that these rules are general and they've been around ever since life has been around, we can start to understand why we need to pay better attention to these rules and the way we manage nature. I wrote the book because I thought that there were some relatively unknown stories out there of discovery uh, across different scales in biology. And I thought that um, it was a way to bring um, some of the really epic discoveries to a, to a general audience. I organized the book around the stories of these really admirable, if not heroic, scientists because I, I think we learn better when we walk in the steps of scientists and understand what mysteries were they confronting, what surprises did they find in nature, how was their thinking turned upside down, and why. And I think that immersion in story just is a lot stickier experience than sort of reading about facts and science. Good. Well, one rule uh, discovered by ecologists beginning about 50 years ago is that um, some species are more equal than others. Um, we call these keystone species that have a disproportionate influence on the communities in which they live. And so when you look at a habitat like a tide pool or the African savanna, it's, imp it's really important to know that some species have this disproportionate influence. And therefore, anything that happens to that species can have a huge ripple effect on the stability of that community. It can have a big effect on the productivity of that community for, for humans. So we need to understand you know, the sort of the players, uh, the key players in, in, uh, in nature and the rules that govern them. Another important rule that I think we all have to take home is that nature is incredibly resilient. There's lots and lots of examples that given a chance, meaning habitat, time, protection, she can come roaring back. Individual species can come roaring back. Whole places can come roaring back. So it's not too late to change the road we're on and the Serengeti rules teach us that. I think the merger between, or at least a better understanding between two tribes of biology, sort of the molecular biologists who've been working indoors, trying to understand the secrets of, for example, how the body works, sort of the invisible things that go on in nature, and the ecologists is that perhaps by necessity for the last 50 years or so, we've been toiling independent of one another, not knowing each other's discoveries, not knowing each other's achievements, or even priorities. But I think as we hurl ourselves into the 21st century that um, this is a century where I think ecological health is going to be vital to human health, just as medicine is going to be vital to human health, and we need to bring uh, those tribes closer together. I think success stories are really important because we're sort of overwhelmed with gloom and doom. It may just be the balance of things in journalism, that you're, we're more exposed to wrongdoing, we're more exposed to sort of all of the you know, mess-ups over time or, or what are going on in the world today. And the people doing the hard day-by-day -day work that are protecting habitats, that are bringing places back from destruction, um, they don't get the spotlight enough. And I think knowing about those stories is really important for us to sort of bolster our confidence and, and motivate us. If, if, if things are hopeless, how are, you, how are we going to ever you know, get up off the sofa? Um, and there's some remarkable things going on across the world, and I think we've got to put a spotlight on them. Yeah.
I think aquariums and science centers and natural history museums are vital. It's where most of the public is going to encounter sort of the science in the real world. Um, they're out of the classroom. It's, it's where families are together. It's where they can, you know, encounter, you know, wildlife and, you know, just great visual exhibits that kind of can bring home both scientific ideas but also stir in us that connection we have to nature. Very important because relative to a couple generations ago, not as many Americans have contact with nature as they once did. You can see the fascination of it when you walk through the halls of any of these great uh, public buildings, but um, we need to do more of it. And I think you, know, you never know who's visiting on any given day and what kind of influence that's going to have on how they choose to spend the rest of their lives.